Howdy partners, what's up everybody? I'm posted up in Jarosh, Jordan, overlooking the most intact Roman ruins outside of Italy. It's spellbinding, it's spellbinding, it's magical folks. But not as magical as the extraordinary program we have in store for you today, which takes us all the way to Bangalore, India. And we are going to hear from Joshid and Prithvi, the co-founders of Nuvedo, a mushroom supplement company that's making big moves on the subcontinent out there. It's a massive, massive population out there who are all turning on to mushrooms thanks to people like Joshid and Prithvi doing the Lord's work, connecting people and unsiloing the pockets of mycelial knowledge across the subcontinent. I'm talking indigenous communities connecting with urban centers. I'm talking taking aim at single-use plastics. And I'm talking leveling up the mycophilia game out in India with the population of 1.3 billion people. The sky's the limit here, folks. This episode is fantastic. I'm a huge fan of Nuvedo and what they're doing, and I'm already making plans to personally get out there to Bangalore and to hang out with these fine folks in the near future. I've been on a wild odyssey myself. Anyone following the Instagram page or who's personally connected to me can vouch for this. I'm getting ready to kick off the next chapter of my journey today. Still got another three weeks out here in the Middle East and North Africa. Okay, my friends, enjoy this episode. Please let us know what you thought. And please go follow Nuvedo on Instagram and check out www.nuvedo.com to learn more about the extraordinary impact that Joshit and Prithvi are making on the world. K Pasa, Mufasa, Joshid and Prithvi from Nuvedo, all the way out in Bangalore. How are things in India today, my friends? Things are going great. It's the peak of summer, so it's hot and uh, the mushrooms don't like it that much. But uh, we're trying to find a way around that. Trying too. to find a way around that, but uh, doing well and things are good in uh, you know the environment and with work and happy to be here. Yeah, <coughs> the same. It's just that uh, I guess it's a little warm for the mushrooms, but we have, we have every season has its own ups and downs. So we're trying to work around that and see what are the you know mushrooms that the, like the heat and like the weather. So a lot of learnings like every season. So super excited. Wonderful. Well, I'm excited to host both of you today, and I'm a big fan of what Nuvedo is doing, and I can't wait to see mushrooms catch on in India and spread throughout the subcontinent. So let's get right down to business. What is the origin story of Nuvedo? The idea behind Nuvedo started when, uh, you know, both Joshua and I, we came from different, uh, you know, walks of life, you know, spaces. Uh, he was in fast fashion, a very intense industry, and I was in cybersecurity, deep end of it. You know, we were working with different kinds of people, and, you know, we came across a point when we wanted to get into the food space. And we wanted to see where, you know, uh, agriculture in India is really uh, moving towards. Are there systems that are actually sustainable? Are there ways in which we can... Uh, um, you know, work with uh, organic uh, producers or or what really is that, you know, way in which we can create an impact that was not stifled by the already existing methods. And agriculture in a traditional sense requires a lot of land, a lot of money and a lot of time. And all three things to really come together means that you have to have been at the right place with privilege and things like that. 
And funnily enough, while we're both permaculture trained designers, we did uh, spend our time understanding those systems as well. And that's when we came across mushrooms. We were trying out some species. We had uh, dabbled with a little bit of growing and we realized, oh, wow, these guys are super versatile. They don't require much water. They can be grown vertically. So um, much agricultural waste to in India, cycle in India. In India. And we were saying, okay, I bet a ton of people must be doing this. And strangely enough, not. And that's when we said, uh, you know, this, this, this system in India requires a lot more education and awareness around mushrooms and people don't know much about it. Uh, and surprisingly enough, when we started exploring like the relationship Indians had with mushrooms, although we did think it was foreign, it wasn't foreign at all. We, we saw that India has a really close connection to a lot of different mushrooms, but they were in pockets. We're a very diverse country, so... There were a lot of tribal communities spread out across India who were using mushrooms like Ganoderma and Termitomyces and things like that for various purposes including food and also medicine, like a lot of folk medicine. So it just felt like, okay, it, this is not new. We just forgot our roots and we just have to rekindle that relationship in a new light. So that's how the name came about as well. New Vedo, it comes from the word a new plus Vedo, which is new, new and Vedo, which is like from the Vedic traditions or things that have been around for millennia. It's nothing new. It's nothing that, you know, that hasn't been there. It's just a new take on something that's been around and also from the root word meaning Naivedium. The Sanskrit word Naivedium, which, which means, means uh, food of the gods. So uh, bringing those two together, we really coined Navedu and we said, let's, you know, come out there and really change the way mushrooms are being looked at. Uh, we loved them and then it was a rabbit hole. I mean, yeah, it uh, just pulled us both in. Yeah. That and is. now we are here. <laughs> and now we're here. It pulled me in too. And I, I love the origin story there. It makes a lot of sense. And thank you for sharing the, the name with us because that's great. I was wondering where the name came from. It almost sounds Spanish to me, but it makes sense as sort of a hybrid of this old and new. And speaking of traditional folk use of fungi in India, I suppose you may have seen the film Planet Fungi. And if you haven't, I highly recommend. It's an Australian filmmaker, Stephen Axford, who's been on the program. And he goes and interviews people about their connection to fungi. And the landscapes are so stunningly beautiful. And it's a you know, very remote region of the subcontinent. So I would highly recommend anybody who hasn't seen Planet Fungi, check that out. So this kind of ties into the next question I have for you, which is about the cultural climate surrounding medicinal mushrooms in India. And to my knowledge, there's not an extensive legacy of mushroom use in India, although you could easily disprove me, it sounds like. But your neighbors to the north in China have a robust history of mycophilia and thousands of years of widespread medicinal fungi use. So I'd just like to hear about what is the cultural climate like surrounding functional mushrooms in India from your perspective? It's kind of funny because as Indians, we have this you know history of Ayurveda. So Healing ourselves using plants is, is not something that's that's new. Yeah. But at the same time, Ayurveda sort of uh, puts all mushrooms under this blanket of being tamasic. And it's not been really explored. So we did talk to a lot of experts in the field of Ayurveda and they said that it's just something that they never explored for some odd reason. But I would say that since we have a history of using plant medicine for healing, converting Indian street mushrooms is not really, a, it's, it's not that difficult. But... The idea is to present the right information because there's so much misinformation that's been that's been floating around. There's so much mycophobia in India, and being a largely vegetarian country, there's there's a lot of uh, misinformation. Like a lot of people think that mushrooms are non-vegetarian, 
in India. So we have a long way to go, but it's it's not going to be that hard because people are already comfortable in healing themselves using the you know power of nature. So it's just I guess about packaging it in a way that doesn't sound too foreign. So if I present a mushroom like a reishi mushroom or something that they haven't seen before, if they see it, they're probably gonna feel very alien because they don't know what this is. But at the same time, if we can bring in some adaptogenic herbs like ashwagandha or brahmi or some other Ayurvedic herbs that they're comfortable with and maybe if we can focus on making a blend or packaging these two herbs and the mushrooms together, then I think the mm, I think the animosity is going to be much lesser and people are going to be much more welcoming of mushrooms. And this is also the same strategy that's been used across industries in India. I used to work in L'Oreal uh, for a bit. So at the time, something that I saw was whenever they introduce like a foreign ingredient, like a jojoba or some other, uh, you know, olive oil or something that Indians are not familiar with, they always mix it with something Indian like gooseberry, amla or shikakai. Something everybody is really comfortable with. So they'll be like, huh, this has shikakai and this also has jojoba. I know shikakai, so I'm going to go for it. I think it's going to be good for me. So... I guess, yeah, it's it's there, it's like getting there, but it'll take some time. And I just want to add that, you know, when while we look at like functional mushrooms as, you know, a terminology, uh, they're, like I said, of tribes and, you know, a lot of cultures have been using them internally for ages. And of course, they've not come into the mainstream because they probably stayed there and that information was just relevant within those tribes because they have those recipes they have those preparation methodologies all over northeast india as well as certain states like uh, maharashtra as well they know certain mushrooms are used for certain benefits but like i said i guess the information is just either stuck in those little pockets and not presented to the people in a way that they can consume so that's just one more thing i wanted to add awesome thank you so there's a blog on the nuvedo website titled why india needs more mushroom farmers. And it makes a lot of the same points that I've been hammering on this podcast about the tremendous upside for individuals and for communities who embrace mushroom cultivation as a means of insurance against precarity and volatility and as a way of creating meaningful economic opportunities and increased self-sufficiency, more nutritious accessible food sources, etc. All these things we know well. So rather than me paraphrase the article, maybe one of you can tell us a little bit here on the program, why does India need more mushroom farmers? Sure. So I think I'll, I'll take yeah, this one. There are many reasons, but I'll focus on a couple of really important ones. And first and foremost, it is there's so much agricultural waste that we produce every year. Like the whole northern bed of uh, Haryana and Punjab, they grow like hectares, thousands of hectares full of wheat and rice every year. And what happens after a point is the stubble that's left behind, they burn that. That's the easiest and most cheapest solution for that. And that leads to a lot of pollution in uh, Delhi and areas in North India during the harvest season, which is towards the end of the year. And the last couple of years, this problem has been increasing more and more. And despite the government trying its best to provide them with machinery and trading to remove all the stubble, they're still not able to do it because the cost of removing the stubble is not, they're not able to make that up with anything. So the first reason is that they to combat this problem of pollution. I think this is a really, really good way to upcycle agricultural waste. So it's two birds with the same stone. You're going to create a lot of wealth 
from something that's being burnt right now and the second thing is all the pollution that's being produced as a result of the crop stubble burning it's it's going to be stopped because of this so currently uh, fun fact only 1.5% of all the uh, agricultural waste is being used to produce mushrooms so there's a lot of scope for that then bringing us to the next uh, again it's a global problem that everybody's facing it's the water crisis and this can again be tied back into unscientific agriculture and like widespread monoculture in in uh, parts of india where they grow a lot of crops which are not really suitable for the climate like in maharashtra one of the highest grown crops is sugarcane and sugarcane basically just sucks all the water out of the ground and that's not something that they should be growing at such a large scale so mushrooms being extremely water efficient they use a fraction of water compared to traditional plants or even cereal crops or vegetables and with such a problem where we are facing like a water shortage year on year mushrooms are really really good way to you know combat that. combat combat that produce food using less water and also upcycle waste and apart from that we are one of those countries which has a lot of uh, people we have a large population and there's no shortage of labor here so mushroom cultivation is very labor intensive so in an india in a country like india where there's so much labor available i think it just it's pretty obvious that this is something that we should we should be doing and yeah just another point the second thing is we have the largest vegetarian population in the world and we also have a very protein deficient country so yeah that just it just makes sense to grow more mushrooms because yeah best vegetarian source of protein with out the there. full amino acid profile so i mean it, it doesn't get better than, than that, that. So. Wonderful. And I'm going to want to talk about this massive population very soon. So that ties into some of the questions I have. But first, I want to share with you that I've been to India before and had a wonderful time. It was 2017 in September and I visited Rajasthan and I especially liked the blue city, Jodhpur out there is a really extraordinary place. I was in Kerala in the south. And went up to Munar, which is like a little tea plantation in the hills. And that was something out of a storybook with the mists and the clouds rolling through. There was a landslide, so I actually got stuck there. And I was quite concerned I was going to miss my flight because we're far up in the mountains and all of the roads are, you know, there's only two roads or whatever. So that was quite a experience. And of course, New Delhi, what a chaotic, crazy place, you know, just people everywhere. I, I love Indian food too. So I was as happy as one could be to, for breakfast and lunch and dinner to eat, you know, chai in the morning and eating all the curries and everything. So it was extraordinary. And then also I went to Udaipur, which is another really beautiful kind of lake town in Rajasthan. And it was fun because a lot of people wanted to take photos with me in India. I'm sure maybe you've heard about this, but like whole families would want to take photos and you know hand me their baby so I'm in a lot of photos with Indian families where I'm cradling a little baby and my wife has been there three times and actually went for work so she got flown out there to work with a bank and to produce content and it was quite an interesting experience because she was a young woman at the time maybe 26 years old from California and she was directing a shoot for a bank and it seemed to be there was a very like masculine culture of people who didn't want to listen to this young white girl that came out so it was kind of a funny experience for her to talk about it but she's been three times also with her grandma and I really hope to come back in the near future and to visit you guys and also to visit Mumbai I've never been to Mumbai 
So just a fun little backstory there. I'd love to talk about mycelium leather and mycelium meat for a bit because as most of us know, there are somewhere around 1 billion Hindu people in India who accord sacred status to cows and beef is not common at all in India, right? It's actually the lowest beef consumption per capita anywhere according to UN sources. And interestingly, the leather industry in India is actually quite large, which surprised me. And sources that I check say it, it accounts for as much as 13% of global leather production, which I found surprising. So I imagine mycelium meat and mycelium leather could potentially have a big impact on India and cr could provide a lot of opportunity for people and to create a more regener regenerative economy and resource base. So of course, these emerging technologies are not common anywhere. They're not common in the States, but a number of micropreneurs like yourself are aiming to change that. So I'm curious, are mycelium meat and mycelium leathers something that you two have talked about? And do you foresee these technologies making an impact in India in the next five years or so? Mm, let's start with mycelium meat. So there are a couple of companies actually who are being incubated in this. Uh, so we, we work with a couple of labs and uh, uh, research institutes, government research institutes for developing uh, products in the functional mushroom space. So we are, com we are connected to the government ecosystem. And there are a few companies, uh, Indian companies, which are working on like uh, mycelium based meat. Again, I can't reveal too much information, but there are companies which are being incubated in these research facilities where they're doing trials for mycelium based uh, meat. So the revolution is definitely starting out in India and there's a lot of demand these days for plant based alternatives for meat. And I think that uh, while the technology is still developing, there is a lot of demand. I mean, I at least as far as we've heard, um, more companies are looking for these alternatives and uh, the technology has not reached the stage where it can be completely commercialized, commercialized and can meet that kind of demand. So um, while I would say we're in that maybe in between stage where, uh, you know, technology is there, but it's not yet up to, you know, commercialization, which I'm sure is also the case uh, in uh, globally. I mean, it isn't reached that level where, uh, you know, it can meet that demand. But having said that, um, in the context of India and the way, uh, you know, our uh, demography is, I would definitely see this as a huge, I would say, disruptor almost uh, to uh, change the way leather as well as, um, you know, um, the entire vegetarian um, protein and vegetarian meat is really going to pro uh, progress because even in the last few years uh, the vegan space right like while we thought maybe veganism may not pick up that much in India it's picked up quite well and there's a large community and people are already looking at alternative sources so it's just a matter of having an ed another plug-in to that already existing system and uh, I think the next five years is going to be definitely it's going to be a reality so, uh, uh, talking about leather again uh we don't consume any meat, but I think India is one of the largest exporters of, of beef. I'm not exactly sure about this, but that's also the reason why there's so much leather here. We don't eat any, but we send the meat out of India. Or process it. Or process it and send it out. And that's why there's so much leather here. Speaking of which, there are like there is a really good company called Dharaksh Eco Solutions in India, which is doing brilliant work uh, in uh, agricultural uh, micro-materials. But they're in the space of recycling, upcycling agricultural waste to make micro-materials. But I think some there will be companies who are working on this. We've been approached many times by uh, companies who wanted to do research with us. 
but as we have realized there's only so much we can do here and it's very easy to get carried away in this yeah. space and there are just so many like you know it's like a candy store and you're just like oh i want to do this i want to do this I but do i guess leather also meat replacements also functional mushrooms also start a mushroom farm and build a community but i guess that's that's not possible so <laughs> we have we made a conscious decision of picking and choosing our battles and saying that we can support people in this but this is not something that we're going to devote our time to because there's just way too many things that need to be done so i'd love to revert attention back to the nuvedo website i was really enjoying perusing your blogs and you've made some posts on your instagram that encapsulate these ideas that you present and one of them is about single use plastics and the mushroom industry and that's kind of the Achilles heel in some ways of the sustainability argument that people make about mushrooms saving the planet. And Joshid, you wrote a wonderful blog piece addressing this issue on the Nuvedo website, which I absolutely encourage listeners to check it out. So if you're listening right now, just open the Nuvedo tab, even if you're you know not willing to peruse it right now, open the tab, leave it open, check out the website. So can you tell us, can you summarize a little bit about your perspectives and insights on single-use plastic and the mushroom industry and best practices for people who truly care about sustainability and making the right choices for what type of plastic they're using for their mushroom farm or their mushroom business? There's, if you really want to cultivate mushrooms without plastic, you can. Log cultivation, totem, these are methods that you can, you can uh, completely do away plastics with. But at the same time, pros and cons. If you're going to use log cultivation, there's going to be a couple of, uh, like a, at least a year's waiting. And the yields are not going to be consistent and it's not an easy thing to move around. Logs are pretty heavy, so they're not very ergonomical. So the easiest way to cultivate mushrooms and the most widely accepted technology is plastic. And plastic is an amazing material. If you ask me, it's one of the most versatile materials out there and you can use it for umpteen number of things. To say that the material is evil is wrong. It's just that we probably don't know how to use it properly. Not probably, we don't know how to use it probably. But yeah, so there is no doing away with plastics. In mushroom cultivation, it's super hard to commercially cultivate mushrooms on a profitable level if you, if you, if you completely do away with plastics. But at the same time, if you're environmentally conscious and you want to you know, take a step forward and reduce your uh, plastic usage, there are many ways that you can reduce it. For example, uh, using glass bottles or reusable PP5 bottles, uh, plastic bottles for spawn production. Spawn is something that you need to use every single time. And if you're using it internally, it makes more sense for you to use uh, glass or PP5, which can be reused uh, forever almost if you take good care of it. And apart from that, there's a lot of plastics that are out there in the market like PLA, polylactic acid and PHA which are compostable and uh, biodegradable under uh, the right conditions. But the downside with these two is that they are not autoclavable. So you can't put them inside. For, for all those listeners who are out there who don't know what an autoclave is, when we sterilize, when we clean the substrate to grow mushrooms, we have to put it inside something called an autoclave, where we heat it up to 121 degrees and 15 PSI pressure to kill all life inside the substrate. So if you're going to use that, a lot of the materials that you have available these days, they don't, they cannot, they can might be able to withstand the temperature, but they can't withstand the heat. We've already tried a couple of alternatives of plastics and that didn't really work out. So if you're pasteurizing your substrate, if you're boiling a substrate beforehand and then inoculating it, then you can go ahead with PLA or PHA, both are really good materials that you can use. But also be careful because I've read papers, like I've read uh, scientific papers where they've used Pleurotus ostriatus to eat up 
आई थिंक पी एल ए और पी एच ए और सम सेल्यूलोस बेस्ड पॉलीमर सो प्रॉब्ली वॉन्ट डू अ कपल ऑफ राउंड ऑफ ट्रायल एंड एरर बिफोर यू लाइक यू नो इनोकुलेट योर बैग्स यू डोट वॉन्ट योर मशरूम्स ईटिंग अप योर बैग बिफोर दे स्टार्ट फ्रूटिंग सो आई सी ए लॉट ऑफ चैलेंजेस इन द इंडस्ट्री बट आई एम वेरी होपफुल दैट परफॉर्मेंस बेस्ड पॉलीमर्स दे गोना काम आउट सून एंड इट्स गोना टेक द एंटायर इंडस्ट्री बाई स्टॉम बिकॉज I see things like color changing bags like bags which change color because of contamination or even reusable bags that can be used multiple times performance based polymers are definitely going to come and they're going to take the entire mushroom world by storm i'm just waiting for it i think it's just another 5 5 years before we get some really uh, good materials that we can work with but till then our only option is reusable pp5 uh, containers and pp5 is food safe so they used in baby food uh, bottles and things like that so it's it's very safe to use you can reheat it any number of times there's no chemicals which leach out of it it's safe to use and if you reuse it you don't really have to throw it away either so yeah pp5 it is okay so what does an average day look like for you as the founders of nuvedo i'm curious to hear a little bit about a breakdown of roles and what duties you delegate to each other and to the team and yeah so it's tuesday afternoon at nuvedo what's going on for you guys so a typical day um, you know uh, involves us going to our facility you know uh, connecting with the entire team there we have two two three more people who work with us at the facility uh, check in on our bags make sure that you know at least the regular production is going okay and things like that and uh for my side i mean uh things that i handle i look into a lot of the uh you know the outreach and the marketing and a lot of like the admin business kind of you know roles which also need to be done on a day to day basis um i also like handle a lot of um um what do you call it um activities related to the business in terms of going in to meet customers uh you know handle talking to clients customers on on the phone if they do reach out regarding some products things like that so uh, that's a bit about what i do in terms of i mean we're always at the facility and we spend a lot of our time there uh but also you know there are days when we're out either on farm visits or you know handling certain uh events, events. so we do a lot of events because we do realize that events are a really important way to connect with people directly and have that voice to be represented correctly and uh, we've been doing like flea markets we've been doing uh, a bunch of workshops foraging foraging walks, walks. we even do um, you know uh, we've done like movie nights where uh, we talk about fungi have lot of micro files come together and you know discuss and have a good time basically you know just talking about mushrooms Uh, so yeah, that's a little bit about my my role, but uh, I'd let Jashin talk about what he does as well. So I've I think been involved in almost every single thing that's happened at Nuvedo, starting from you know sourcing the straw or the sawdust to like preparing the raw materials, inoculating the bags, spending time in the lab, helping in cultivation, and I I really really enjoy the whole hands-on part of it because that's something that I was really missing in my previous job. I love to work with my hands and. this this uh, like nuvedo really gives me a chance to do that and apart from that i guess i oversee a lot of the production i'm i'm the guy who makes sure that you know the ball is always you know rolling everybody is doing what they have to so i have i have i think uh, a role to play in almost all the things that we do so everything prithvi said and apart from that even the production side of things 
and a lot of community building so i i i go out there talk to a lot of people and see like you know what are the possibilities that's available and that's also how we met so i'm always on the lookout of you know people who are in the micro space and what new cool stuff we can do together and what uh, new products we can do and yeah pretty much everything and even the production side of things as well so i mean i don't know if that was like a clear you know <laughs> explanation of role separation or like you know having it but i guess we work like a mycelium network everybody does everything. it's a lot of things together because we're a small a team. team yeah we're a small team and everybody has to do everything basically yeah. we, we even we even do the delivery sometimes yes dispatch and deliveries and packaging also i think for the first few months till the time we didn't have a team we were doing that as well staying in the post office right all of that that's kind of an antiquated question in some ways because the traditional roles for entrepreneurs in a business are kind of breaking down and everybody has to wear every hat, especially when you're doing something as disruptive as running a mushroom business, doing the Lord's work of educating people and connecting communities. And I think that's what's so key right now is that there are a lot of pockets of this incredible knowledge and valuable knowledge, and they're just kind of siloed off from each other, right? You have these indigenous communities that have amazing historical, they have amazing legacies of mushroom use, but that knowledge doesn't necessarily make it into the urban environments. And then in the urban environments, you have this amazing confluence of all these different cultures and like ideas from all over the world, but those don't necessarily make it out to the indigenous communities. So there's a real opportunity to do uh, network building and to, you know, create platforms and, and opportunities for this information to be exchanged between all of the different stakeholders. And of course, India has what so many different ethnic groups within it and 30 plus languages that are official state languages. So like there's a lot of need for somebody to interpret all this information and sort it out and put the misinformation to the side and bring to the forefront what actually works and what's actually going to benefit people. So essentially, I, I call it fungi diplomacy is the term that I've come up with. When we first started, we realized that the word mushroom itself is called so many different things in so many different, different languages, languages in India. and that people don't even know sometimes what what is. That's a fun question that we like to ask uh, people that we meet for our trainings, like our community members, like what do you call mushrooms mushroom. in your local language? Because everybody speaks almost some even even in the even within like a few kilometers the dialect may change or um, you know and it's funny to see that there's so many different names of mushrooms it just shows how deeply ingrained it is in our culture it's just people have forgotten the roots and something i missed also some something that's really funny is a large part of my time goes in all these gardening groups on facebook <laughs> indian gardening and farming groups on facebook commenting on posts telling people that hey like their post, random posts which say, hey, what is this? Can I eat this mushroom in my flower pot? And then you have uh, 90 comments which say, oh, all mushrooms are toxic. Please, please destroy it. Don't let your children or your dogs touch it. Please remove the pot from your house. And I'm just sitting there looking and commenting, hi, not all mushrooms are toxic. You really don't have to throw it away. It's okay. They're not going to kill you. So a large part of my time was in all these online gardening and farming communities just telling people that, Mushrooms are not out there to kill you. It's it's totally like fine to have it in your house. Yeah, just that as well. Thank you for taking the time to do that. Maybe we need to make a Josh Head bot, an ethical bot who can take up that mantle. So you, yeah, sounds good to me. So um, the other question I wanted to dive into right now. Oh, I'd love for you to tell us about your production facility. Like, what are some of the mushrooms that you're growing? What are some of the substrates you're using? And just a general snapshot of the technologies you're using and what the Nuvedo mushroom production facility looks like. 
So right now I can say that we work, we use a lot of straw. So we use ragi straw. Ragi is a cereal crop that grows abundantly outside uh, Bangalore, in and around Bangalore. So keeping that in mind, it's a really hardy plant as well. So we use mostly ragi for cultivating all of the oyster varieties. And right now we just have a, we have a couple of oyster varieties that we are working with on the culinary side of things like the gourmet side of things. So pink oyster, elm, then grey, golden. So these are a couple of and white oyster. These are a couple of varieties that we are working with. And apart from this, uh, on the functional mushroom side of things, we are doing a lot of R and D with uh, reishi, turkey tail, and lion's mane. And part of the problem that we face right here is sourcing the right type of sawdust or right substrate. And the last one year has just been doing a lot of trial and error to see like what wood really works because all the material that's out there, it, it, everything suggests like oak wood sawdust or chestnut sawdust, and those trees don't grow here. <laughs> so we have to see what is available. We have acacia, we have jackfruit, we have mango, we have trees like that which grow around uh, South India. So we just the whole of last year has basically been trying out different types of substrate recipes and supplement ratios and just trying to figure out what the mushrooms like to eat. So we have, again, that's something that's in the pipeline. So I don't think I can speak much about what substrate exactly we're using. But apart from that, we make our own spawn. We work with our own genetics. A large part of our time goes in like our, uh, in our lab, our cultivator. They spend a lot of time tinkering with mushrooms, growing out different batches, trying to see if they can isolate any nice genetics or some uh, you know phenotype something that they like so a lot of tinkering happens in the R&D side as well and most of the other time just uh, goes into taking care of the mushrooms and just seeing how they grow and like tweaking the parameters to make sure the cultivation is uh, as good as it can get awesome thank you very much for indulging me again with these questions so I'm asking you a lot of questions but now I want to pitch an idea to you in front of the audience so I'd love to come to India and coordinate a micropreneur incubator or an incubator with you all at some point. And the basic principle of the incubator is simply providing a space and a platform for fungi entrepreneurs and aspiring fungi entrepreneurs to connect and to lay the foundation for future collaborations and for knowledge sharing. And we ran a pilot program in January this year in Mexico. And despite the logistical challenges of organizing an international event during the height of the Omicron variant, the incubator was extremely successful by all accounts. And it's something I want to repeat ad infinitum in other incarnations and iterations in other places around the world where we bring some people from the States or some people who have established micropreneurial ventures and major league experience doing things at scale. And we're connecting with folks who are doing the same thing in another part of the world and, you know, sharing those kinds of solutions to problems you mentioned. Like when you're talking about the different wood and the issues of sourcing, already some ideas are popping into my mind of someone I know in a certain region who has done something with a certain type of wood, right? And I think that's where the value of an incubator comes in is laying the foundation for these personal relationships because in the digital age, right, we're used to just having friends online and corresponding with people. But a lot of times like folks are familiar with these other people and their work via Instagram or whatever, but you don't really know them, right? You're uh, So having an opportunity 
to sit down, to share meals together, to have some parties together, to go on a foray is something that I think is amazing. And we, we all really enjoy the experience. So I'm just going to put it out there. I know you're super busy, but maybe in 2023, we can dial in a four day situation where we have some kind of micropreneur incubator in India, because I would love to come out. So just going to put that out there as a, as a possibility. I think this is a fantastic be- idea. Yeah, I think this is super, and and we can even do it sooner than 2023. But yeah, we can definitely start to plan that because um, one of the things that um, again, like coming back to probably the first question that we said that um, you know the mycology space in India requires a lot more open source sharing and a lot more like um, you know understanding of what are the different ways in which we can collaborate and if we can bring that entire space together and have um, you know, a uh, you know, a platform where even we, like you said, we can connect to people who have already worked with certain technologies. That would be fantastic, and I think uh, yeah, it'll benefit the larger ecosystem would, as well because yeah, I am hundred percent sure that all the issues that we are facing it's across spread out across the industry, and any person who's going to enter this is going to face a lot of the same challenges. And there's frankly not much material out there to help us with all this stuff. We are on our own. We can start with research papers, but that's just the starting point. And we still have to, you know, spend a year, six months trying to grow different mushrooms and see how it works. And if you bring the right people with the kind of experience that they have, I think it's, it's going to be really, really cool. And I think, I think we, we, the, the common thing that we've seen across all our, at least our events and our foraging walks and all, people just come because of the love for mushrooms. And I think that there's nothing more that you have to even say or do and, and, and just flows after that. So. But this can definitely, definitely accelerate a lot of things that's happening yeah. here. And it'll, become, it'll bring a lot of uh, people together as well. Right now, everybody's operating in silos. It's a huge country and there's only so many people we can reach out to on Instagram. And I'm pretty sure that there is a lot of excellent work happening in pockets in different, con- in different parts of India where they've figured out the same things that we are trying to find out. So bringing a common platform, like you said, a physical space, three, four days of just coming and sitting and talking to each other. I think that itself is going to have a lot of trickle down yeah. effect in, for the community. All right. We'll uh, follow up about that. So also, I think another angle of why an incubator could be an important contribution to the landscape is the importance of building your team and of finding a co-founder. I'm a staunch advocate and believer in building teams and finding other people because a lot of people in the fungi space are very good at doing what they do. And maybe that's cultivating mushrooms. Maybe they're not very good at the entrepreneurship angle or at the communications angle. So when you find a team, for example, I make mushroom chocolate and I've got a few other irons in the fire and my business partner is way more dialed in to the actual like cultivation, the chemistry angles, all of that. And I bring something else to the table, which is the outreach and the networking. And we've been able to do some awesome stuff together, but I never would have been able to do that on my own. And I don't know that they would have been able to do it on their own. So that's another huge advantage of like creating these spaces for people as you can click with someone in person and be like, wow, you know, you I, we could join forces here and do way better than either of us were going to do individually. And I guess that's part of the mycelium mantra to trace it back to that. So looking forward to that. And whenever we're able to dial that in, we'll put something in the pipe. Pipeline. All right, we've talked about basically everything I wanted to touch upon today, but there's one important question before we let you go and enjoy the rest of your evening in Bangalore is what are some projects you're working on right now that you can share with us without revealing too much information or violating an NDA or anything? We'd love to hear about what can we look forward to on the horizon with Nuvedo. 
So working with a lot of exotic mushrooms that haven't really been cultivated, we're going to be coming out with a lot, a uh, couple of new grow kits. And I think it's safe to say that one of the grow kits are going to be that we're going to be releasing. It's the first time in the world. Not many people have experimented with uh, that mushroom. So really cool products coming out your way. And apart from that, like I said before, a lot of experimentation happening with invasive spe- species of trees and shrubs, and trying to use those as substrate recipes. so that you know we can tackle that problem using mushrooms as well so i think these are the two cool things that we are currently working on new mushrooms and also trying to use like uh, locally available substrate which is a nuisance for the environment Most you definitely. must come to bangalore and stay with us or you know visit our farm we are, you're you're always welcome here so yeah i'm i'm sure a lot of people here would love to meet you you have a lot of fans as well especially in new way though so so we, we you know we look at some of your posts and you know we have such a good time talking about it so we would love to host you here yes, yeah that would be sure. amazing and thank you so much for having us yes. it's so fun Cool. Well, Joshid and Prithvi, thank you so much for coming on the Micropreneur podcast. Shukriya. And I'm looking forward to hanging out in person in the near future. Okay, Onda. My friends, got to refresh the outro too. So what'd you think of this episode? Drop us a line, hit the DMs on Instagram at Micropreneur Podcast or dare I say, TikTok. Yes. We've been engaging in TikTokery as of late. And while I have your attention, Ego Death Magazine is actively soliciting content submissions and recurring contributor roles. Just take a look at the type of content exhibited thus far at www.egodeathmagazine.com to get an idea of what sort of materials we are looking to platform. So don't be a stranger. Bridges, not borders, baby. All right. You take care of yourself now. I'll be seeing you around. Ciao, au revoir, sayonara, and adios.